Okay, we're going to jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're still working our way through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Last week we looked at Paul bringing some specific instruction to um, to the church, uh, particularly around the Lord's Supper and how they should be engaging with one another around the table. And what we saw was that there seems to be a, a recurring theme with this church in Corinth, but they were messing things up, that they just got totally uh, a wrong view and values of what the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist is. And Paul gently tries to correct them and bring them to a place where actually they can, they can flourish around the table. They can encourage each other. They can see these emblems for what they are, a reminder, a powerful, tangible reminder of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this week we're going to see him again um, bring the gospel to bear, bring the truth of the word of God to bear on another issue which the church we're struggling with. We're going to read verse 1 and verse 11 together in a minute, but before we do, I just want to just give a bit of context for where we're heading because we're going to spend... Seven weeks working through chapters 12, 13, and 14. And what you see in those chapters is, is Paul really teaching the church and trying to, to align them with what it looks like to be a church sitting under the authority of God, under his rule and reign, but also, also working through the, the empowerment of his spirit. What does it look like for a church to embrace gifts which are given by God through his spirit in a way that is edifying and encouraging for one another and is exalting of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first verse of chapter 12, Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, that's where we're going to be landing and where our conversation is going to be over the next seven weeks, spiritual gifts. The, the actual interpretation of spiritual gifts there is spiritual realities. In the Greek, the word is charismata. It comes from charis, which is Steve and Helen's daughter's name. Charis, meaning grace in the Greek. Charismata being gifts of grace, spiritual gifts of grace. Paul is saying there are realities, spiritual realities, not just things written in a book that, that, that he wants to talk about, realities which he, he desperately wants them to grab hold of, and apply to their own lives and apply in the life of the church. So for seven weeks, we're going to walk through what that looks like for us as a church. And we're going to do some hard work as we gather as gospel communities on Wednesdays. And whenever we gather together, I want us to be praying this through. Because my guess is for a lot of us, this is, this is going to be either new or this is going to be, you're going to have some reservations or maybe some skepticism or some baggage at least to bring to the table. And my hope and my prayer is that you can see through that and see truth. And hold on to truth, and that we as a church would function holding on to truth. I just want to give us a definition of what these spiritual realities, what do spiritual realities, what do spiritual gifts mean? And this is a definition written by a guy called Sam Storm. Sam Storms is a pastor in America. Um, he is reformed, he writes on Desiring God, um, kind of knocks around the likes of John Piper. This is someone who we as a church would be comfortable standing at the frontier preaching, we'd all be comfortable being members of his church and this is what sam storm says the spiritual gifts are he says spiritual gifts are not god bestowing to his people something external to himself they are not some tangible stuff or substance separable from god spiritual gifts are nothing less than god himself 
in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. To summarize that, spiritual gifts, spiritual realities, charismata, whatever you want to call them, Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, human love. These are miraculous ways that God works in and through us, his church, to glorify himself and encourage the church. Now we've all, kind of, as we're reading that and we're hearing these sorts of things, revelation, energizing our souls, even just the word spirit and spiritual, we say that on this road and it means so many different things. So I was saying to Steve before, I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing this morning because our kids are over there um, learning about the gospel, learning about sin, judgment and grace this morning in the same room that yesterday a lady was reading, reading kind of palms and, and doing tarot cards. It's not great, a greater kingdom is being taught over there this morning, but the reality is on this road, Everyone, a lot of people are aware of, of spiritual things, spiritual realities. And even us, as, as most, most of us being church folk, come with, with having seen things or experienced things. And we've probably all seen weird stuff when it comes to the spiritual gifts uh, on, 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 on the telly or even in churches that you've attended. We need to see this isn't something that's just popped up in some kind of new, trendy, modern movement. This isn't even something that... The Apostle Paul is bringing to bear as, as an, a new emerging theology that is only for the new covenant people that only pops up in the New Testament. What's interesting, look in the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to a time where God would send his spirit and his spirit would dwell in his people. And the outworking of the indwelling of his spirit that would be the young men and women and older men and older women would, would, would prophesy and they would dream dreams and they would be filled by the spirit, moved by the spirit, used by the spirit. Like this is something that, that God's people in the Old Testament wanted to grab hold of and they couldn't. That God's spirit was something which dwelled in front of them. It was external to them. They saw him in a, in a cloud of fire or a cloud of of a smoke in front of him, but they never could grab hold of him in their hearts. And the problem with the Old Testament folk was that their hearts, their hearts were made of stone. They couldn't naturally beat towards God. Their affections couldn't naturally be towards God. They needed a change of heart. And you have the likes of Ezekiel and Joel and Amos looking forward to a time when their hearts would beat for God. That God by his spirit would change their hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Folks, I want us to see that spiritual gifts are deeply rooted in the gospel. This isn't something that is just an add-on. This isn't something that is divorced from the gospel, but this is, this is a fruit of the gospel. Folks, we, we were all spiritually dead at one point. We were. Our hearts never beat for Jesus. Our, our affections were, were never stared for Jesus. We were dead and we were destined for eternal punishment and judgment. But God, by his spirit, grabbed hold of us. We did nothing to do that. We weren't chasing after him. We weren't pursuing him. Paul's going to ask us to pursue spiritual gifts. We never pursued that gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. All we ever did was reject God. And then he, in his grace and his mercy and his love, extended his, his hand towards us and changed our hearts into hearts which were walking in rebellion to hearts which were for him. Old Testament folk were longing for that day. 
What you see on the day of Pentecost, you read this in Acts chapter 2, is Peter, Peter stands before the crowds and he declares, all those prophecies that were spoken in times gone by have been fulfilled. As the disciples wait for the coming of God by his Spirit, and the Spirit comes and like tongues of fire lays on top of each of their heads and fills them. That prophecy is fulfilled. The Spirit has come and he is dwelling in God's people. What you see in the following chapters in the book of Acts, it, if you know it, is, is a beautiful picture of the church engaging with one another, filled with the Spirit, engaging in the gifts, spiritual gifts, which are given by God, celebrating the charismata, glorifying God through these spiritual gifts, seeking the good and the encouragement and the edification of one another. You see that just a beautiful outwork and as the, as the early church just gets to grips with, with who they are and this new gift which they have been given. But it doesn't take long before that gift is distorted. So 15 years later, we land in the letter that we land. The city of Corinth and the church that we, we know this really well by now, this church was messed up. They got so many things wrong. They abused so many of the things which God had given to them. And this was one thing that they abused spiritual gifts they got it wrong god gave them this precious gift to to glorify god and for the encouragement of the body and they abused it there was people who were who were kind of using it as a platform for their ministry it was it was creating egos in the church it was creating division in the church we'll see that next week that, that wasn't ever the intention that, that god gives with his indwelling of his spirit and the gifts specific gifts which he gives to his church but the corinthian church abused that and today that abuse is still there. So I've said before, a lot of us come with experience, some good and some bad experience. And what you find is a spectrum of, of where you can land when it comes to spiritual gifts. And we might land anywhere on that spectrum, but at, at one end of the spectrum, you have what we might call functional deism, which is where, where you, you, you appreciate and you understand that there is a God, a God who has created where we exist created us and, and, and he has given, he's given his son to us. Well, that's where it ends. There isn't any kind of follow-on from that. He's given his son, he's given his word and the Holy Spirit exists, yes, but, but he is a character in the Bible. You might have heard a phrase when you were growing up and, and it said tongue-in-cheek, tongue but it's quite a good way of describing this position when they describe the Trinity as being um, the, the, the Father, Son and the Holy Bible. And they diminish, actually, this is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a he, it's a person. He, he has a role to play out with the church. But these people don't, don't want to engage in, 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 in the spiritual realities that Paul is talking about here. And they want to park the work of the Spirit and kind of keep it in a box and keep it out of the way. So you have functional deism on one end of the spectrum, then the other end of the spectrum I couldn't even kind of find words to, to, to describe this well, but I think you know what I'm talking about, a kind of, a kind of magic or, or, or kind of strange, almost like voodoo kind of thing where you just see people, people um, just doing strange, strange things when it comes to spiritual gifts, doing things which are out of their control, wholly out of their control, doing things which look like there is... There is something strange going on, not just, not just different, because we will see different things here, but it looks chaotic. It doesn't look like there's order. 
and and honestly and there are some good things on the god channel and things like that but you don't have to sit for long in front of those programs before you see these things emerge and again people use them for their own agendas and for their own egos and both of those ends of the spectrum are an abuse of spiritual gifts and there's everything in between i'm quite sure we probably land somewhere in between there what i want us to see over the next seven weeks is that there is a way there is a way when we are walking in obedience to scripture believing that god has given his gifts to the church not just to the apostles but to his church our church liberty church in 2018 there is a way for us to humbly engage and celebrate and delight in spiritual gifts delight in the charismata for the building up of the church and the exaltation of christ so let me set out our stall as liberty church as liberty church we are reformed and we are charismatic here's what i mean by that reformed means means we we submit to the authority of the scripture we are people of the word we are bible people we, we would like to say we've got robust theology and doctrine. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We hold up this book and we love this book. We are reformed through and through and we are charismatic. By that I mean that we believe that the gifts described here, which we're going to talk through in a minute, and other gifts that we read through the New Testament did not cease with the death of the last apostle. That's what you call cessationism will continue to be given to the church today. That's what you call being a continuationist. And I've got kind of stuff to back that up, but I'm not going to go there until two weeks' time in chapter 13 because Paul presents his own argument for that, which is much better than mine. So let's wait for a couple of weeks for me to unpack that a little bit more. But I just want to set out our stall. That is who we are. And they are rocks that we all die, and we are reformed, and we are charismatic. We love the Word, and we love the Spirit. What you see in the evangelical world is, world is a false dichotomy being held up that you can't be those two things together. That they just, it's kind of like water and oil, they just, they kind of, kind of don't, they don't mix well together. That's what a false dichotomy means, that these things just don't, you can't hold them up, if you were trying to explain that to Beth then. <laughs> my hope and my prayer is that we'll, we will see in the next seven weeks that that isn't the case. That is not a false dichotomy. That you can be reformed and you can be charismatic. And in fact, there is a beautiful convergence when the word and the spirit are held up together. That is the place that we all want to be. People who do not depart from this word. But are people who love the work of the spirit and long for it and pursue it in every area of our church. I appreciate that, I appreciate that was a long introduction, but we needed it because that's setting up the store for the next seven weeks. Let's read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit and the varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common 
good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we have sung this morning. Father, I pray that we will be filled with hope. That that would be how, how your spirit encourages and edifies us this morning, that we would be filled with hope. We would be filled with peace, which only comes from you. That as we engage with this text and we try and, try and seek to walk in obedience to, to how you would have us live out as your people, that we would be at peace of that. Father, if there are any barriers, I pray that you would help us to lay them down. Father, help us not to stray from truth. Help us to hold fast to your truth. Embrace the gifts that you have given us. Celebrate the gifts that you have given us. Father, in everything that I say and in all of our response this morning, we pray above everything else that your son will be exalted. That your son will be lifted up. And it's for his name's sake that we pray. Amen. So the first few verses here we see in uh, chapter 12. What you see here is Paul saying, he's kind of addressing his concern. He's saying that the church in Corinth were, were, were being misinformed about the spiritual realities, about, about the spiritual gifts. That God has given them these good gifts. He's, he's given them the, the spiritual gifts and they've distorted them. They've, they've come at their own assumptions. And you see, uh, we'll see it next week in verse 25, the way that they were engaging with the spiritual gifts, the way that they were, they were trying to walk through them was leading to division. So many different divisions in the church, so many different things that were causing, causing schisms and, 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 and factions in the church. And this was another one of them. They distorted the good gift that God had given them and he says he says look at where you've come from he says look back you you were pagans and you you were once led astray to idols and we talked about this before but the the context that they lived in in the church of in the city of of corinth was that they would have been surrounded by idolatry surrounded by paganism that there were there were temples for foreign gods everywhere paul knows that they know spiritual things they they've experienced these things before this is nothing new to them the spiritual realities that he's talking about are nothing new spirituality was normal for them in fact spirituality spirituality false spirituality it's a really hard word to say which you got a dry mouth false spirituality was rife in the city of Corinth what he says is look back to the things that you came in with they came into the church soaked in error Soaked with bad experience, which some of you and I have got this morning. Paul wants to correct that. He's going to take three chapters to correct their their bad experience and the error which they have brought in from when they once worshipped foreign gods. He's going to inform them. He's going to teach them. And what's really interesting, you see them really, really using the spiritual gifts as a a way to, to abuse the church. It's interesting, Paul doesn't say, do you know what, forget about it. This isn't working, put it in a box. We're not going to play with this one because you just can't get it. You know, you're just getting the wrong end of the stick and, it, and, it's, and all it does is bring division and, and distortion. Forget about it. He doesn't do that. He does the same thing with communion last week. Like, like that was a mess. These guys were getting drunk around the communion table. They were, they were um, leaving people out of the meal and Paul doesn't come and say, do you know what, forget about it. 
Thanks, mate. He doesn't say forget about it. Why doesn't he say forget about the meal? Why doesn't he say forget about the spiritual gifts? Because these are precious, beautiful gifts which God has given us. Which we aren't to just forget if we get wrong. We ought to correct ourselves and come back to a place where we can flourish and we can be fruitful. God wants us to engage in this table. To engage in this table well. And in the same way, God wants us to engage in spiritual gifts well. Paul could have easily said, and if it was any of you you and I by now, we would have shut this church down long before we got to chapter 12. But Paul has gone 12 chapters through and he's holding on to them. Why? Because he loves them and because he loves them as Christ loves them. He's willing to give his life for them. And before canon it, he wants to correct them and show them that this is a better way to live. This is how we can walk rightly. And so he teaches them, he brings the word of God to bear. That's what we need when we are walking in error. We need the word of God to inform us, to correct us, to bring us back in line. And specifically when we're talking about the spiritual gifts, we will never function in health when we are away from the word of God. Now, in this book, we have the closed canon of Scripture. There is no more revelation about who God is. We're not going to get that. That's closed. The Holy Spirit has revealed to us all that we need to know about who God is, who we are in light of who God is, and all we need to know about the spiritual gifts in here. So as we're walking through this, we're going to hold fast to his word and not depart from it. This is why Paul says in, in verses 2 and 3, he says, Some of you are pagans led to mute idols, however, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul is appealing to knowledge here. He says, he says you know, you understand. He isn't basing this on their emotions or their feelings or their experiences. Authentic spirituality engages with truth and engages with knowledge. This isn't us waiting for God to to speak and direct us on how to live holy lives. He already has. He's already told us how to engage with the spiritual gifts. And so if you've got anxieties coming from that end of the spectrum where you've put the Holy Spirit and the works of the Spirit in a box, let that relieve your anxieties. We're going to hold fast to his word. We'll cling to the word of God. Because if we don't, we make it about someone else that the spiritual gifts have been given to exalt. The spiritual gifts have been given to exalt Christ. He is the center of the spiritual gifts. That is the center of, of why we're given them. That is the foundation of why we're given them to exalt Christ. The spiritual gifts are all about Jesus. You look down at, at verse 3 again and what you see uh, Paul unpacking there is the, the, the reaction of the unbelieving heart to the, the heart to the Lordship of Christ, to, to, to Jesus saying that he has claim over everything, including yours and my life. The reaction to the unbelieving heart, heart is always rejection. Paul uses the word accursed there. The actual translation is anathema. This is something that you have, have a hatred towards. Paul is saying to the unbeliever, when, when we are exposed to the Lordship of Christ, that he says, submit to me. Bow, bow the knee to me. Our, our reaction as unbelievers is always rejection. We will always reject him. But God, in his mercy, like we said before, he reaches down and he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And as we, re- as we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, we are regenerated. We are born again. Again, that is nothing that we do. That is none of our work. That is a work of the Spirit. He makes us to be born again. 
He gives us new hearts. Hearts that once rejected Jesus now become hearts that adore Jesus and want to exalt him and will live in glad submission to him as our Lord. When he says in verse 3 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit, he's not saying that that necessarily is something we say with our mouths. This is something we believe deep down in our hearts. No unbeliever can say Jesus is Lord with a full conviction of their heart. It needs the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. Paul wants them to know this. Paul wants them to know that functioning and practicing the spiritual gifts without holding on to truth and exalting Christ as Lord is walking in error. He wants them to know that. He wants to correct them. In verses 4 to 6, he, he shows them, okay, this is what, this is what it looks like to, to, to engage in spiritual gifts in a healthy way. Verse 4, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Here's the first thing that we see in, in, in a church engaging in spiritual gifts in a healthy way. The first thing is, is that we see that every believer, every believer is uniquely gifted by God. Now all of us, share in similar gifts all of us have been called all of us have been saved all of us have been forgiven all of us have received the the gift of regeneration which which makes our stony hearts beat for god all of us have been given the gift of faith to believe that jesus is who he says he is we all share in in common gifts but paul is clear here that there are unique gifts given to each believer that should be exciting for us, folks, that, that God, God dispenses a variety of gifts, different gifts. And who does he give them to? Verse 6, to everyone. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, Jesus, by his Spirit, has given you a unique gift. For you, a gift that the rest of us might not have. That should be exciting for us that there is a unique way that the Spirit engages with us. And what we've grown to get accustomed to in, in our churches, particularly as a bit of a celebrity culture in church, we have a man or a woman who leads at the front and it becomes a bit of a performance Christianity and everything is kind of heaped on that person at the front and they are the one with the gift. They are the one that we kind of follow. We kind of hang on their tails because God has, has blessed them and gifted them to do what they're doing. And that may well be true, but Paul is saying, even if that is true, you have your own gift as well. This isn't just about throwing someone at the front. This is something that, that God, by his spirit, gives to his church right through his church. We are each uniquely and differently gifted. We are each given an important gift. A gift which will exalt Christ and will build one another. The second thing we see in those couple of verses is, is that spiritual gifts are, are deeply Trinitarian. They are deeply Trinitarian. So you see it in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. That's a, that's a capital S on that Spirit that he's talking about, the Holy Spirit there. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's the, that's the Lord Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, that is God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. See here that Paul is saying that, that spiritual gifts are given by the Trinity. 
They're given by the Trinity. You see the Spirit, you see the Son, and you see the Father there. They are given by God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, the Trinity. And so we need to correct some vocabulary here. These are not gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say these are gifts of the Spirit. In fact, the only gift of the Spirit that you see written in, in the New Testament is the gift of faith, saving faith. We receive, we physically receive the gift of the Spirit, Him indwelling in us. That's the only gift of the Spirit that we read. They are gifts from God, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. That's what you see here. The Trinity together giving gifts to their bride, the church, for their glory, to lift them up, to exalt them, to glorify them. And verse 7, for our good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God God gives his gifts for his glory and for the common good. They are the two purposes that God gives his church, spiritual gifts. To make much of him and to build up his church. And if you ever see any other fruit outside of those two things, question what you are seeing. If that is to build up a man or build up a woman, question what you are seeing. If it is to build up any other institution apart from the church, question what you are seeing because you don't see any other reason for God to give these (laughs) gifts to his church other than to exalt who he is, glorify himself, and to encourage the church. Now I want us just to do a quick exercise. I want you just to look around and look at one another. It's uncomfortable, I know. Just have a quick look. Look at who God has brought in this church. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to encourage these people that you've just looked at? Yeah. 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 Do you want them to be edified? Do you want them to be filled with with hope when when there is struggle, when there is pain, when they just can't, can't see through things? Do you want to be able to speak into their hearts and encourage them with the peace of God? Yes. Can I say then from the outset of us walking through this, let us embrace the gifts that God has given for his glory and for the good of our brothers and sisters. Because if we get this right, can I just say we might get some things wrong? We might. But if our heart is right, that this is all about the glory of God and the good of our brothers and sisters, then this is going to deepen our love for one another and we are going to see each other built up. We are going to see each other encouraged. We are going to see the body being edified. We are going to see God by his spirit and by by his grace speaking into weary hearts to encourage them, to lift them up, to give them a peace that only comes from him. And that's what we want, isn't it? So in verse 8, Paul unpacks what these gifts are. Verse 8 to 10. And let me just read them again. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same, by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish, excuse me, distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. If you just throw them up, actually, Elizabeth, so they're on there. There's a list of verses here because this is just one of a number of lists of gifts that, that we see in the New Testament. So when Paul says there are a variety of gifts, he meant it. There are. 
There's a number of different places that you can go to, to read what these gifts, these spiritual gifts given by God, empowered by his spirit are. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 5, we saw some right at the start that the, 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 there are gifts there in our passage today, verses 8 to, to 10. Next week, we're going to see more in verses 28 to 31. In chapter 13, there's more gifts listed there in verses 1 to 3. In chapter 13, verses 8 to 9. In Romans 12, Ephesians 4. And just so we don't think this is kind of a, a ministry that Paul is building, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, Peter describes there a list of spiritual gifts. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service. They're not all the same. So you won't see the same seven gifts that we read here popping up in all of those verses. You will see different gifts, variety of gifts, but each one is given for the glory of God and for the common good. Can I just ask you if you've got a pen, write those down. Go home, look at them, pour over them. Take note of, of what gifts you see in those verses. Read them, study them, observe the gifts that you see. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to be able to look at one another, look at your brothers and sisters and see where do I see these gifts. If we truly believe that God gives these gifts to his church, gives these gifts to, the, to his church, then we will see these gifts in operation today. So go home, study them, look at them. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning briefly just walking through the seven gifts that we see in chapter 12 here. Seven gifts that Paul describes here. And I'm just going to give us a, a brief description of what each of these gifts are so we know what we're looking for. Some of them I'm going to pass through, through quickly. Some of them I'm going to give us some examples of what this looks like just to give us some handles so we know where we're looking. So the first one that Paul describes is the utterance of wisdom. Or you might have heard this described as uh, words of wisdom. Words of wisdom are given to one another to encourage each other to live in line with the gospel. Practically, this looks like the Holy Spirit prompting a believer with some wisdom that's given from God that is wholly in line with the revelation of God that we read in Scripture that leads to the maturity of the believer. So words of wisdom. Let me give you an example of where or what this might look like. Last year, as a kind of collective of churches, Cornstone, Church Liverpool, Wirral and Liberty, we felt God leading us to step out in faith and take some, some gospel risks in extending his kingdom across Merseyside. So we employed an operations pass there. We launched Liberty Church and we set out our stall and, and our budget against our income. There was a, a gap, a significant gap. And as the year got on, this gap, you, you kind of expect it to get closer and closer and people kind of get the vision and they, they give more and they give more and you meet the budget at the end of the year. As months went by, every elders meeting, our treasurer would put the, um, the, the kind of numbers on the table and the gap wasn't shrinking. Now we're accountable for that. We've kind of led the church in that direction. But every month we were kind of getting, where's this money going to come from? This is kind of squeaky bum time. And we felt, we felt kind of concerned about it. We honestly felt this was a burden. Every month we would come with this burden and, and we needed God to intervene. We needed resources. And, and can I be honest, it was clouding some of the other things that God had called us into. What was really lovely is that two ladies, one an older lady, she's in her 70s, um, kind of pushing 80, a dear old lady. Um, she was praying and, and just in her study time, God led her to Exodus chapter 17. 
specific verse in Exodus chapter 17 where God is kind of laying out what it's going to be, what it, what it will look like for God's people to live in the wilderness. And God shows them that they will have enough manna for that day, enough provision for that day. Not to worry about tomorrow, not to kind of hide some of the manna under their tent, which is what they end up doing. To trust him for that day because he will provide. This is his work. This is his kingdom that he is building. That really just encouraged their heart. The exact same verse and the exact same same, um, words of wisdom were given to another lady in the church. They didn't know each other. Similar time. Same words were given to the eldership. Now, God have kind of just led us in our own study in Exodus chapter 17 and we came to that conclusion ourselves. Yes, he could. But he decided to use these dear ladies to bring that word to us. Why? To encourage our weary and burdened hearts to show us that God is in this. This is his church. These are his people. It is his provision and he will bring it. You see what God is doing with, with these spiritual gifts? He's using them to encourage his bride. And to make much of him. In that moment when we were brought those words, we knew that God was in the midst of our issues. And he was being glorified and he had got it. So utterances of wisdom. Secondly, utterances of knowledge. This is sometimes called words of knowledge. This is particular insight into scripture which is given by the Holy Spirit to the believer that is passed on either to another individual or the church. This is not new revelation. This is not us coming and saying, thus saith the Lord. You will never hear that. That is not one of the gifts that is given by God. This comes about by the Spirit-inspired study of God's Word. That comes about by us seeing past this book just being words on a page and seeing it as the inspired Word of God, asking Him to reveal truth to us as we study. Okay. The gift of faith. Let me just be clear, this is not saving faith. This is a different kind of faith. So each of us have been given the gift of saving faith. Like we said before, by by his spirit, by the indwelling of his spirit, we are able to believe that Jesus is Lord and bow the knee to him. This is different to that. This is a particular type of faith which is given um, where someone has a deep-seated faith, a deep-seated conviction of the supernatural power of God to intervene in a certain situation. You'll see me reading a lot from here because I want to get this right. Supernatural power of God to intervene in a certain situation. This is not a belief in themselves that they they can do something or they can move something. This is a deep dependence in God, leaning on him, And saying in all humility that for some reason I believe with all my heart that God is going to do this. I just believe it. I have faith to believe. I have a deep-seated conviction. Whatever this is, whatever the situation, that God is going to do it. And God gives that gift of faith to his believers. Fourth, gift of healings and miracles. So this one we're going to come back and we're going to spend a whole week looking at this. Gifts of healing and gifts of miracles. And this is maybe one of the easier ones for us to get a handle on because we see Jesus kind of walking in his ministry while he's, um, while he's, while he's incarnate with us and we see miracles and we see healing. I'll just briefly explain where we're going to go with this in a few weeks. This is God by his spirit intervening in the natural order to bring about a supernatural result in our immediate circumstances. That could be physical healing. It could be provision. It could be protection through the prayers or words of a believer. 
So we'll come back to that in a few weeks. Again, with prophecy, the next one on Paul's list, we'll come back to that in chapter 14. Paul, Paul writes a lot about prophecy in there. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is speaking in merely human words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. That's a, that's a quote from Wayne Grudem. And if any of you know kind of Wayne Grudem, he is kind of all about the word of God. He's written a systematic theology like that. Every, you know, if you want a doorstop, you go and get his systematic theology. It is, it is robust. This is what he is saying that prophecy is. Again, we'll come back to that in a few weeks time the next one discernment of spirit or distinct distinguishing of spirits this is the gift to be able to discern the origin authority and application of a prophetic message particularly the gift to evaluate between demonic forces and the holy spirit let me give you a quick example of this one so i used to be involved in a church a number of years ago and the church were engaging in a particular part of the city where there was known occult um, witchcraft all sorts of kind of demonic things going on and there were a number of people who came into the life of the church who brought words of prophecy to the church. And some of the words that were brought were spot on, they were accurate. There was no way they could have known the circumstances that they were speaking into, but some of the words they were brought, and particularly they were kind of insights into people's lives, making accusations about people's lives, particularly around sexual conduct. And by God's grace, God had given a couple of people in the life of that church the, the gift to discern the spirits. And they were able to look at those words and see that actually, no, that is not from God. And they could see that it wasn't from God and they were able to encourage the church and glorify God by laying hands on that, on that word, looking through it, praying through it and seeing that, no, this is not from the Holy Spirit. This is from some other spirit. So the discernment of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. Last one here, tongues and interpretation of tongues. Hey, Jeff, you Okay. Again, we're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks' time. Spend a whole week looking about tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Please don't avoid that week. Come to that week. Tongues are spirit-inspired utterance. I'm going to leave that there. And we'll unpack that in a few weeks' time. So there you have it, folks. That's the list of gifts that Paul lays out to the church in Corinth. And some of you, I'm guessing, you might never have seen some of those gifts, and, and some of you may have seen some of those gifts, and you may have seen those gifts being abused or confused. I say, if you're coming here, that's okay. If you're bringing that, that experience and that baggage, that's okay. But what I, what, I, what I would just ask is, come with us. Come with us over the next few weeks. Walk with us over the next three weeks. Pray through this week by week. I'm honestly excited and honestly hopeful for what God might do through us over the next seven weeks. And here's why. And we see it in verse 11. Paul says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That verse, for me as your elder and as your pastor, tells me that God in his wisdom has set up his church so that the ministry of the church doesn't stand or fall with me. He has blown the doors wide, wide open on the ministry of the church. And he has given gifts to everyone who believes that he is Lord and Christ. Each one of us, if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, has been given an individual gift, empowered by the Spirit, for his glory and for our good. That's why I'm so hopeful about what God might do through us in the next few weeks. 
Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Father, we thank you for those who are yours, that that we wouldn't be here without the indwelling of your spirit. We thank you that through nothing that we have done of our own, through no pursuit of our own, you have grabbed hold of us and you have saved us. And you have breathed your spirit into us. Father, we thank you that we have hearts which have affections which are stirred for you, which, which long for your glory and not our own. We thank you that you've made our stony hearts beat for you, that you've breathed life into us, that we no longer have a destiny of, of death and eternal punishment, but we have an eternity of, of peace and joy where you will reign forever. We thank you for the gift of your spirit and we thank you for the spiritual gifts which you have given, empowered by your spirit. Father, we thank you that we get to read truth and we get to hold on to truth and we get to engage our minds in this, that this, this isn't something that we have to work out through experience or emotion. You have, given us, you have given us inspired words to lead us and to teach us and to inform us. Father, it is my hope and my prayer that as we walk through what these gifts are and how we walk in them faithfully over the next few weeks, that you would be glorified, that your son would be made much of amongst us. That everyone who is in this church, everyone who would call themselves your, your son or your, your daughter would, would be more encouraged, more empowered, more edified as we walk through what these gifts are. Father, keep us from strain and error. Keep us from ever making this anything other than about you. Father, help us to hold fast to your words, to your truth. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. As we take this meal together, I just want us to read um, a few verses from Matthew chapter 7. They're going to be up on the screen, so you don't need to turn there. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to the crowds. He's talking to his disciples. And he's talking about gifts which the Father gives to his children. We're going to see over the next few weeks that Paul is going to tell us to pursue spiritual gifts. To ask for spiritual gifts. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The reason we come round this table, folks, is because we have been given a gift. The free gift of salvation. That we weren't knocking on the door to give. That we, we haven't done anything to deserve that gift. We should have been given the gift of, of or, or, or the reality of, of death. The serpent, that's what our Father should have given us. Yet in his mercy and in his grace, he doesn't give us the serpent. He doesn't give us death. He gives us life. He gives his children an egg. That's a picture of life. That isn't a gift that we have pursued. That isn't a gift that we have deserved. That isn't a gift that we have gone around knocking, asking Jesus to give us. He has stretched out his arm, taken hold of his children, gathered them in, saved them from the reality that they should have endured, which is death and separation, and given them a reality which we could never have wished for. 
which is life and eternal peace. We take this meal to celebrate the gift of salvation. We take this bread as a reminder that Jesus' body was broken for us. We take this wine or this juice as a reminder that Jesus' blood was, was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. To seal the gift that we were given of salvation. And as we take of this meal, and we've talked about this a lot in the week, and as we were looking at, at 1 Corinthians um, 11 last week, we take this meal as a body. We're going to see next week that the spiritual gifts are all given to a body. Jesus purchases a body. He purchases a bride. He purchases a people. He doesn't purchase us as individuals to live life on our own. He purchases us as a people. And so as we take this meal, at some point would you just open your eyes and just see how you can serve one another? And that might be you just see someone on, on the other kind of chairs and you just want to pray for them as you're sitting. We take this meal as, as a way that we can serve one another, celebrate our union, celebrate our communion with one another because God has bought that for us. We don't take this sitting in our seats on our own, so please engage with one another. If you want to get up and sit next to someone and, and pray with them, put your arm around and do that. If you want someone to serve you communion, ask. Someone would love to do that and they would bring you to the table and they would serve you communion and they would pray over you. Please don't make this meal about you as an individual. Take this meal as a reminder that Jesus has purchased a body and a people for himself. So please engage with one another. <coughs> Can I remind us this meal is for those who would say Jesus is Lord. Not just with their mouths, but believe that with all of their heart that they would submit to him in every area of their life. So if that's you, we'd welcome you to come to the table. You can just come to the front and take of the bread and take of the juice or the wine. The juice is at the back and the wine's at the front. And if you don't want to share in the cup, there's um, separate cups there. But if you wouldn't see Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you're not willing to let him have submission over all of your life, we'd ask you just to stay in your seat and just observe what we do. My hope and prayer would be that you would see a picture of the gospel. You would see his, his um, people and, and join a meal celebrating his death and his resurrection as he secured a life for us with him forever. So I'm going to pray for um, this meal that we're going to enjoy. Just come to the front when you're ready. Uh, you can just take it and stand in here and then go back to your seats. Uh, Matt and Elizabeth will lead us through some. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this meal. <coughs> We thank you for this bread which reminds us of your son's body which was broken for us. We thank you for this blood, for this uh, juice and for this wine which reminds us of the blood of your son which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we thank you for all that this meal causes us to remember. As we come and approach this table, help us by your spirit to to lay, lay hands on, on where we've been walking in error this week. Help us to confess of our sin, to repent of our sin, and to approach this table full of, of the knowledge that we have been given grace upon grace. That our sins have been paid for. That our sins have been forgiven. That we can approach you with, with, with full of confidence and full of boldness. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father. Thank you that you gave up your life to purchase a people. Jesus, we celebrate that. We celebrate your death, but we also celebrate that, that you came back three days later, that you resurrected, and you, you showed us that, that, that our life with you had been sealed forever. 
we thank you that one day you will come back. But until that day, we take this meal in remembrance, in celebration, in reflection of who we are, and rejoicing in our hearts because of what you have done. Help us to serve one another well as we take this meal. We ask that in your name for your glory.